Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Well, hey there, it's Nico. By now, you probably know who I am, but awkwardly, I know a whole lot less about you. So many of you tell me that you're listening to the show and I really want to know you more. Who are you? Why are you tuning in? What do you want most from Suncast? Let us know by going to mysuncast.com forward slash survey. It takes just five minutes and we'll read every answer. That's mysuncast.com forward slash survey. All right, here's the show. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome to Suncast and this Tactical Tuesday. If you're new here, every Tuesday, we try to drop some tidbits, some morsels of insight, some goodies for you along your personal path to building a clean energy career with purpose and mission. And today is a session that I did with our past guest, Scott Wynn from 17 Terawatts. In fact, it was in honor of Earth Day. And I joined a discussion with Scott, Susan Bradley, Brooke Betts, and Carter Lavin. You'll hear all of them introduced momentarily to discuss, can words impact the climate? How do we effectively communicate the severity of climate change and the solutions in a way that compels people to take action? That is exactly what we're all about right here on Suncast, compelling you to take action, to build a life, a business, and a career of purpose in the clean energy economy that is evolving and emerging. I hope that you will stick around all the way to the end, and I hope that you enjoy it. If you do, please share it with a friend, share it with me on LinkedIn, your takeaways, your thoughts, insights, etc. I also would be remiss to say to those of you who are listening on the day we publish this, may the fourth be with you. For now, let's tune into another Tactical Tuesday here on Suncast. All right, so thank you everyone for coming into today's day before Earth Day event. I'm Scott Wynn, founder and CEO of 17 Terawatts. We're the makers of a customer experience software, Bodhi, where our mission is to really try to cultivate that bond between people and the energy that powers their lives. Now today, we're going to try to answer this question that one of the attendees, one of the registrants, Barry Jacobson succinctly posed. How do we effectively communicate the severity of climate change and the solutions in a way that really compels people to take action? Now, many of us are in the environmental or energy industry, and so we understand the issue pretty well. But many times having these conversations with others from like our customers to our neighbors, even our family members, it can just be really, really difficult but don't fear, we've got four communication experts here today to share their experiences and give us tips that we can use. So <clears throat> let me introduce the panelists. We have got Susanna Bradley, the Director of Emergent Audiences at SunCommon, a B Corp that has helped over 7,000 homeowners go solar in Vermont and New York State. They're also the organizers of the Climate Action Film Festival, and their mission is to try to tear down the barriers to clean energy. We also have Nico Johnson, founder of Suncast Media. 
His podcast, Suncast, is downloaded more than 12,000 times per month by energy and clean tech professionals seeking insight into how to grow, how to grow their personal and professional skills and business. Next is Brooke Betts, the VP of U.S. Campaigns at Rare. Now, Rare is a nonprofit that trains local leaders to run pride campaigns that employs proven social science methods to inspire people to adopt conservation solutions. Rare has already conducted over 250 campaigns in more than 50 countries worldwide. <clears throat> and last but not least, we've got Carter Levine, Director of Membership at the California Solar and Storage Association, also known as CALSA. So CALSA is California's largest clean energy business group with over 550 member companies. And they tirelessly- members. How many now? Over 620 members now. 620, congratulations on the newest members. And Carter, along with his team, tirelessly advocate for clean energy policies, including the current fight over net metering in California. And we'll hear more about that in our conversations. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with any of the panelists or myself, we're going to be posting the, their LinkedIn accounts in the chat box. All right. So if you have any questions for the panelists, just type it into the Q&A box. We'll actually, we've actually received quite a few of those um, questions already during registration. And in addition, for the second half of this panel, we're gonna go and hop over to a second Zoom meeting where you will be able to speak directly with the panelists in their own breakout rooms. So I'll give you more details about that when the time comes. All right, so <clears throat> are we ready? So let's just kind of dive in. So I'm gonna start with a slightly controversial topic here, a controversial story. So a friend of mine who I will not name because of his statement, one day told me he didn't like Greta Thunberg. And that really caught me off guard. But he continued by pointing out that her statements like, how dare you, really comes across like shaming. Kind of like when a parent shames their kids. And generally for us parents, we know how that goes. So Nico, I want to try to start with you here, since you're a parent and awesome at that. Um, the flip side of shame is hope. And you've been interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, many of them entrepreneurs working in clean tech. Can you talk to the importance of messaging around hope in your show as opposed to shaming? Yeah, Scott, thank you. I appreciate the question, also the perspective, and also, and I just want to say hello to everyone. Um, our friend Carter, uh, it's good to see you, friend, looking good. Um, thanks for the inv invitation to be here, and also thanks for everyone who's taking the time to join us. Um, you're giving us the only non-renewable resource you've got, and that's your time. Uh, you know, I've got a friend, Ingmar Rinshog. Uh, he was just a feature. He was just featured on our show, and he is uh, actually good friends with Greta, and he's credited with having launched Greta to international fame. And he started an organization that is called We Don't Have Time. And I just love that organization. In fact, tomorrow, he's got a whole day on Earth Day, um, you know, talking about how we don't have time. We're in a race to zero. And the messaging that I see around hope is specifically those entrepreneurs who understand that we don't have time to put down those around us, that everything is about raising the tide. I like to say that if uh, if this is all, if a rising tide raises boats, I like to rise the tide and let my friends like Carter drive the boats. Um, I think that you're doing a great job with that as well, seventy terawatts. Uh, and so the the guests on our show who are, who are emblematic of the kind of messaging we need to really find recognize we don't have time to shame others into coming alongside, and they create 
products and messaging that actually demonstrates that we are not waiting for some future idea or technology to arrive, that it's already here today. And a great example of that is uh, a lot, several of you probably recognize Arcadia. They've been now, uh, they've been called the Comcast of solar in, in some circles because they're focused on subscribers and showing folks that you don't have to have solar on your roof or even in the lawn next door, but you can subscribe to solar just as easily as you subscribe to cable. And that kind of messaging really gets to the hope that we can do something now as consumers to take action on climate change. Yeah, thanks, Nico. That's a really interesting point. And so taking action. And Susanna, you know, we've talked about it and you're you're you guys have really kind of um, embodied this. All the best marketing is storytelling. And so because that over the years, we've gotten a lot of stories around Earth Day, primarily, you know, about nature, how beautiful it is, how we're going to lose it. But in our conversation, you, you, you talk about, you say there's like a new conversation that's happening now around climate justice that has a far greater potential. Can you explain what storytelling around climate justice means and how it differs from some of the previous narratives? Sure, yeah, um, happy to. I think it's a really um, important thing for us to kind of be thinking about and moving our, our thinking towards because uh, as you say, the environmental movement has really focused on uh, messages about saving the environment, saving whales, uh, saving, you know, our, our beautiful planet for its recreational, um, capabilities. But, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, the reason we want to save those things is for us, right? It's for the impact on people. Um, that's really the more compelling thing is what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to my family. Um, and, I think a lot of times with climate action, we also start talking like way in the future. We're talking about what might happen. There might be terrible storms coming, but really what's the impact on that? It's the impact to the people. We might lose our homes, but still that future thing, it feels very kind of almost very far removed. Like maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. But actually the impact of climate change is already happening. It's already happening to people right now. Um, the infrastructure and pollution from fossil fuels, it's already ruining communities. It's already ruining health. It's already taking lives. It's just mostly in black, brown, indigenous and people of color communities. And so a lot of the environmental movement right now is shifting towards not just climate action, but climate justice. How do we help the folks who are already experiencing the impacts of climate change? And how do we center their stories in this work? Because they're already feeling this, You know, they are already seeing the impacts. Um, so a lot of people would argue, like, let's put them at the center of all of this, like not only telling their stories um, and the impacts that are already happening to them, because this is it's, you know, it's human centered, uh, but they should be at the center of policies, too. You know, so it's a really interesting shift that's happening right now that's exciting to be part of. Yeah. So speaking, continue on that and definitely on the policy. So Carter, you know, what's interesting when we talk about these stories and from climate justice to climate action, Sometimes they're not always easily conveyed in a way that fits into the short attention span that the public and sometimes myself have um, included have. And so there's a question from um, Stan Pipkin that he, gave, uh, he asked, in this age of a short attention span, what is the right format or media to generate deep engagement? And is that how important is it to figure out that right format or, or channel? Yeah, and I appreciate the question. I think one of the really key elements to always think about when you're talking about communications is to what end, 
what is the purpose? What are you trying to achieve? So when someone says, when someone says, Oh, I don't like Greta, you know, she has this global movement, but she makes me feel bad. It's like, well, she has a global movement and maybe she's used shame. And yeah, you should feel bad and you're not going to be activated by her. That's fine. Millions of people are, and are taking action. So the question of, Hey, who's effective, who's not, are her tools good or not? It's like, well, she's clearly getting things done. And I think kind of to, to Nico's point about, you know, there's no time left, like there isn't time left. And I think that that's something when we talk about people have really short attention spans, it, it is not about necessarily what you say or what the medium is. Is it Twitter? Is it Facebook? Is it a call? Is it a web? Whatever. It's what's going to actually get the person to do a thing. So for example, in about three hours, California has a vote in a committee uh, that if a bill passes, it would more or less gut net metering and the foundational policy of solar. Um, my day yesterday and the week you know, leading up to this and my morning was saying, we need to get hundreds of people to show up at a committee hearing. What's the best way of doing it? And there, I texted people, called people, uh, emailed them, do all sorts of stuff. And you know, some people are going to say, hey, don't text me, call me. I have 20 questions. And it's like, okay. And I have to think, is going through those 20 questions required or is it going to be easier to get three other people who will just say, oh, Carter's saying this thing's bad. I trust Carter on a bad thing. I'll call in. Um, and I think it's always so important um, for people in the comms section to of comms world to really remember that you're trying to enact actions. The goal isn't just to have a person feel away or think away. It's to do something. So what are you trying to get them to do? Yeah, thanks. Um, hey, Brooke, what's your take on Stan's question? Can you give us an example of where is awareness campaigns that like one example where it was successful, where previous efforts failed? Um, sure. I, I can give you an example. A couple of <clears throat> things. One, I wouldn't frame it as an awareness campaign. We try not to think of it just as awareness for the sake of awareness, but actually like what is it going to take to change behavior? Um, you know, Specific to the question, Stan's question, not yours as much, sorry, <laughs> going off script. Um, you know, Americans actually believe in climate change at a pretty high rate now. Um, it's up to 72% that believe in climate change. Uh, over half, I think it's 55% and growing, are fully alarmed and concerned. So I think there's a shift going on. I mean, that's what we're finding is that there's a shift going on from talking about climate and trying to convince people that climate is real to really trying to explain to people what they need to do about it. Um, because in our research, we've found that people don't actually know what to do. Over half say they want to do something about climate change. But when we ask them, OK, well, what, what should you do? They go, recycling. It, and like, that's all they've got. You know, they don't know. And it's shocking that they don't have a good grasp of the relative impact of going solar or using renewable energy or driving an EV as compared to recycling, but they don't. And so really that's the work we're getting into with our Make It Personal campaign is trying to help, you know, have these aha moments to raise all boats and, and get these people adopting more frequently instead of kind of resting on their laurels that they're kind of thinking they're doing the right thing. Yeah, so that stat you gave, like 72 people believe in climate change. I mean, I think that's um, maybe the conventional wisdom that it is not the case. And so um, one of the questions that we've got, maybe Nico, if you want to try to address this, one of the questions we received from Derek Bowen, which I think is probably on most people's mind, is how do you communicate with an audience that is so polarized that each side demonizes the other? 
Hmm. I would love to take a stab at that. I think that uh, there are some folks here who are pretty daily working on uh, bridging that gap. But what I see from sort of my vantage point is that we have to move from uh, a narrative that's us versus them. Uh, and we see this a lot just in within the energy sphere, right? Folks look at, we'll call it traditional fossil fuels, and they are them. And we in the renewable energy business are us, right? Within climate, we're still a very small part, like air conditioning, frankly, will make a bigger dent than renewables will if we just focused on it. Um, I happen to be focused really well, really you know, intently on renewables. Uh, one of the things that I, and Robert Cross actually mentioned this in a uh, previous conversation that I've had with him. I think he mentioned it in a comment here that visual tools really do help both. Uh, I mean, and Greta utilizes this showing folks the immensity of the mountain that we've got to climb uh, helps to catalyze action. It helps to rally folks into action and recognize this whole, I mean, the race to zero with Ingmar, as I mentioned before, like is a, is a call to arms to say, like, we've got, they have a countdown timer showing when we're going to get to the moment where we can't do anything to actually uh, re reverse climate change. Uh, these sort of visual tools help to engage the the parasympathetic system to actually recognize that I have a, a role in in taking change and taking action here. Um, and you know, you and I, Scott, have talked about uh, there's uh, there's a human capital side to all of the transition that we are engaged in. Uh, and so we could talk about it as people are losing their jobs, or we can talk about it as, hey, as an industry, the energy industry, we need to transition jobs as well as as well as well energy infrastructure. And uh, I think that that's, that's an unspoken sort of, that's an unspoken need, opportunity, and even pain point in our industry where we can challenge the status quo, even in our renewable energy industry about, the them over in oil and gas not being qualified to be in renewable energy, right? And and do what we see in West Virginia, retraining an entire generation of coal miners to work in the renewable energy field. And I think that there, there's just such an opportunity here that we have to embrace uh, creating uh, these this visual representation of what we can accomplish. Does anyone on the panel have another um, want to follow up with that on that specific question about the polarization and demonization of the other side? Yeah, it's a super interesting question um, because we've done some research on it. And it's one more reason why we think, to you know, the best thing to do here is to stop talking so much about climate change and start talking about what you can do. Um, when we actually do studies on the individual behaviors that we're focused on, and renewable energy is one of them, it turns out that it's, oh, sorry, my dog just, <laughs> um, it turns out that the driver isn't necessarily your belief in politics. It's not correlated to which political party, you know, you vote for. It's not correlated to, um, you know, even your belief in climate change, the real driver, the actual factor is if you know other people that already have solar panels. It's if you know other people that are doing these behaviors. And so really that idea of talking about the behaviors and talking about the actions that you can take has so much power to not just help people understand what to do, but also to help them get past the political noise about it. Because if you can see the benefit or you can understand somebody who's gone through making one of these changes, it really transcends politics. Yeah. <clears throat> and so just a reminder for the panelists, if, um, I mean, the, for the audience, if you have a question for the panelists, just type it into the Q&A box. 
Um, was there, Carter, did you have a? Yeah, um, I think one thing when we talk about like us versus them and polarization, I mean, so one, um, I mean, I live in Oakland, California. We have a ranked choice voting system set up, which uh, that uh, there's just different ways of having political infrastructure set up that does actually make it. So you're like, look, you might not like me. You might like my opponent, but can you like me a little bit? Like there are different structural changes to do this. Um, there's a reason why European politics and American politics are different uh, stuff around um, parliaments and things like that matter. Um, but I think also to the point of, uh, polarization, I think, uh, you know, one thing that I see, so of our 625 members, we have people all across the political spectrum as members. Like there is a lot of members who are Trump supporters, a lot of members who are not Trump supporters. Uh, you know, we have members who think we have people who go up on roofs every single day and install solar arrays and they think climate change is totally made up. Um, you know, there's people all over the spot. And you know, at the end of the day, what we all agree is installing solar should be a lot easier permitting should be a lot easier. Net metering should be protected. And I think that there's a lot of times when people are very much in their head around like, what's the conversation? What's the talking point? What's the thing? And you're like, okay, yes, but yes. And you know what, regardless of any of these things, a permit should be over the counter. If it's a five kilowatt system, it should just, you know, you should be able to just get it online. It should not take a month to get. And people are like, yeah, I don't, Yes, like I want that regardless. And I think a thing about climate messaging and is, and then messaging in general is you don't talk about, it's good to talk about the values, but you want to talk about what people actually get. What do people actually want? You say, is it EVs? Is it whatever? Is it hydrocars? Like people want to get to where they need to get to. Um, and I think one thing that's also really important to keep in mind when people talk about like personal choices is during COVID, we ran the biggest global experiment basically possible saying like, what happens if everyone stops traveling, stays home and just like cuts their carbon footprint as much as possible. And emissions went down about, I forgot it was like 17% or something, but they didn't go down nearly enough to what they are doing of what they need to do. And I think that's a really important reminder that like, yes, there's stuff that we as individuals can do, but political and collective action is the way that we really unlock this. That I think when we talk about shame, um, one thing that I tend to really dislike about, um, you know, a lot of like, well, recycle more eco green footprint is like, it's messaging that makes you ashamed to exist. Like that says like, you know, how do we shrink your presence as much as possible? It's like, well, you know, I, th I think it's really important to act collectively because that's how you get a lot more from that. And that's, I think there's a lot of hope in that collective action. Yeah, Susanna, do you have a <clears throat> comment on that? Um, yeah, and I almost wanted to go in a, a different direction after Carter just said that because it is a systemic problem, which the powers that be make us want to feel it's, you know, an individual problem that I, it's, I'm consuming too much when it's like, hey, isn't it actually the energy source here we're talking about? Aren't you making a, a terrible product that maybe you could do better on? But that's a whole other conversation. Um, what I wanted to add uh, specifically to that, like us and them dynamic question uh, is just that we, so we're, Sun Comet is based in the Hudson Valley of New York, which is about 90 minutes north of uh, New York City, as well as Vermont. And our customer base is definitely what we would call purple. <laughs> so very mixed. It's very red. It's very blue as well. Um, and a lot of the climate messaging uh, we do is about impact and about climate change, but a lot of it's not. A lot of it is about independence and uh, resiliency uh, and saving money. 
And I know that's very specific to solar. So it's not, you know, broadly across renewable energy and climate change, but certainly for our customers, there's a huge section of folks who are more conservative who don't, who don't, aren't as moved by the climate uh, message, but they are certainly moved by the other benefits uh, like you're referencing Carter, which are, you know, saving money and being more independent. Having your own power station in your backyard is cool. You know, solar is a cool tech product. Have you seen some of the apps that come uh, with your monitoring? Uh, Hint, hint. Um, it's a cool technical innovation. And if you're a, a cool technical person, you know, you want to be on the on the forefront of uh, new technologies for your home. So there's absolutely ways that you can talk to both sides of the political spectrum on it. And it's really not, I don't find that our customers are divided on, amongst those lines at all. Cool. Thanks, Susanna. So, um, and I know that Brooke's answering uh, Nisha Desai's question live right now because he had a question about some of the 72% um, stats. But I want to try to turn the conversation now over more towards the, how do we get people to take action? Um, maybe Susanna, you can continue on with that. I mean, the goal of Sun Commons Climate Action Film Festival is about inspiring action, right? So can you tell us more about why Sun Common, a solar installation company, has a film festival at its premier marketing event? Yeah, so we started the Climate Action Film Festival in 2020. Um, we had a, a lot of creative folks on our marketing team, and uh, we actually have a full-time position on our team called a storyteller, who is our sort of resident videographer and photographer. He goes out and he creates stories from all of our customers uh, who, who talk about why they went solar, their motivation, what they're excited about. That's been a very successful marketing campaign for us. That was kind of the base of where we were coming from. But as we were looking out in the larger environmental movement and engaging with other media around the movement, um, you know, a lot of the documentaries, a lot of the media, it's just kind of a bummer. And it's it's very engaging. It's exciting. It makes you angry. Uh, but at the end of the documentary, you're kind of like, oh, I guess I can't drive a car anymore. Or, oh, I guess I can't wear new clothes anymore. Or you know, it, it doesn't leave you with a super hopeful tone always. Um, at the same time, we saw that there were lots of films, particularly smaller or community-based films that were about action. They were about people saying, this is a problem. Uh, I want to do more. What can I do in my community? And, and those folks getting together, working together to take action against climate change. And those films are incredibly inspiring. They are hopeful they make you angry, they make you cry, they make you laugh, but at the end of it, you think, oh, I wanna, I wanna do that too. I wanna get involved. Um, it's not this big bummer feeling of like, oh, I guess, you know, just like Carter was saying, I guess it's my fault. Um, it's not, it's I wanna get involved. And uh, what we saw is that if we collected those films together and presented them to people who are even just a tiny bit climate curious or interested, after they saw this collection of films, they wanted to take action. And that's exactly what we wanted because going solar is one of those great things that you can do to take action personally, but it also was inspiring people to get involved um, in all different ways. And that's exactly what we want as a solar company is people to just get inspired and to take action on climate change. Well, cool. And so with that, I mean, Brooke, if you got um, or able to, in, you know, this is, I mean, this is kind of following up with that action. And there's a question from Jan Rippingale. How do you frame the impact of personal scale activities in the concept, context of such large numbers needed to affect material change? So like Rare's Make It Personal campaign is designed really to specifically address that. 
Can you tell us more about that? Make it personal. Yeah. So um, what we learned was, you know, as people were focused on climate change or focused on what somebody else was doing wrong or trying to figure out what I was doing wrong, you know, it just was too much information. And so uh, we really worked on simplifying what are the things that have the most impact. And we came up with a list of seven and a list by itself is not going to change the world. The list is, is just the place to start from. Um, but there are things like the food you eat, your transportation and your energy, um, and then also uh, carbon offsetting, which is really a proxy for donating to things that sequester carbon. You know, so investing in new technologies could be carbon sequestering or it could be uh, working on, on uh, things like uh, ecosystem restorations that sequester a lot of carbon. So those are the kind of things that are on our list of seven. And um, if we got 10% of Americans to adopt those behaviors, we could get 75% of the way to the climate Paris number. Now, climate Paris number may not be the right number. Biden just is thinking about making that a little bit more aggressive. Um, but, you know, the point is, if, enough, if even just 10% of Americans do something, it matters. Um, another example that I like to give from the Make It Personal work is eat less meat. I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to go vegan. I'm like, gotcha. I don't either. I'm from Texas. I eat meat. I'm down with it. But, you know, like the, the medical community says that Americans eat six times too much meat. Okay. That's a problem. We're seeing it in our health. That's a huge issue. Um, and so when you reframe it and say, well, gosh, did you know that one cheeseburger is the same amount of carbon impact as leaving your car running for over an hour? People are like, oh, so like I wouldn't leave my car running for over an hour, but maybe I should pay attention to not just eating cheeseburgers every meal for six days a week. Um, so those are the kind of things that you can make small steps and actually kind of help people get that kind of thinking that like, huh, small steps do add up. Cool. Yeah, thanks. So we've got a question from the audience and this is from Pradeep. And I think this is back to you, Susanna. <clears throat> And so his question is, how did you get folks to see the film? So I've got that one question, but then I want to have a follow-up too to that that I'll add on, which is after those your your um, attendees of the film festival saw those saw the films, can you share any examples of actions people have taken that were inspired by the film festival? Sure, yeah. So the um, last year in 2020, uh, we had the film festival just before all the pandemic changes happen. So we were able to actually have a physical event and we rented out uh, theaters in both of our regions and we held a real film festival. <laughs> so uh, folks saw the films by coming to the theater. Um, this year it was an online event. So of course we did lots of promotion and um, Vimeo has a special setup where you can kind of host your own screening. It's similar to Zoom, but it's not quite as interactive. It's meant to be more, uh, more just like a viewing experience. So we use their tool and we broadcast uh, the film festival. There was a couple different nights. It was over two weeks and we had different speakers and it was a really fun event. Actually, if anybody's interested in the content or um, just checking it out, we are going to be doing an encore screening this weekend for Earth Day. So uh, Thursday. So tomorrow through the weekend, if you go to climateactionfilmfestival.com, you can watch an encore presentation, which was uh, a few of our favorite short films, as well as some snippets from the interviews that we did. Um, go check it out. It's very inspiring. And Scott, to your question about uh, concrete actions, of course, one of the biggest actions was 
people going solar, uh, preferably with us, of course. That is that is one of the biggest business takeaways of the project for Sun Commons. It does inspire people to actually stop delaying and go solar. Um, it's also very effective at getting people off the fence. So if people had contacted us and we're kind of in the sales process already, when they see the film festival, it helps them get off the fence, just say, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go for it. Um, so those are two big results. We also hear anecdotally and from the surveys that we send out to attendees that people get more involved in their communities. This one woman, Joanne, contacted us and said, thank you so much for putting it on. It inspired me so much that I've decided to put on a workshop, a Zoom workshop with uh, the Chittenden County Food Resource Group about composting and uh, making your kitchen a more sustainable place. She's a nutritionist and a, a food educator. So it inspired her to take her knowledge, go back into her community and make an impact uh, at the community level, which is just so um, heartening and inspiring to see that our festival could help other people get involved that way. Back in February, fellow solar warrior Robbie Mickelson revealed in episode 345 that the world's top banks funneled nearly $2 trillion into fossil fuels since the Paris Accord signing, despite their lip service towards climate and renewables. If that gets under your skin as much as it did mine, then let Robbie's fast-growing fintech banking platform, Atmos, help you align your purpose with your pocketbook, your cause with your cash. And you can know that it's never supporting interests or industries misaligned with your personal mission. Start your financial journey at joinatmos.com forward slash suncast. Hey, by now, I'm sure you've probably heard about our mission-minded program, getting your dream job in clean energy in 12 weeks. Our current cohort has given us great feedback and kudos, I might add, as they go through the material and our coaching calls. You can see more about what this program looks like at suncast.vip. That's our brand spanking new webpage to talk about the mission-minded program. That's also where you can send friends, family, neighbors, colleagues that you know who might need a little extra help, a little guidance to find that dream job in clean energy. Our mission-minded program cohort is ongoing right now. We are taking a waiting list for our next cohort. I'd encourage you to do two things. One, send anyone you know that might be interested. Two, those of you who are so inclined, please go check out suncast.vip and email me, nico at mysuncast.com. Hey, so Nico, let me, I wanna hop back to you here. Um, and I think maybe this will go back to one of the comments that Susanna made. You know, many people think tend to think about solutions to climate change as a zero sum game. So like you're making a terrible product, et cetera. Where do you see that we're getting our messaging wrong in terms of that and then potentially even attracting the right talent and partners to this clean energy revolution? Yeah, uh, and I want to try to approach this without in any way shaming what Susanna said, because I believe as a solar warrior that oil as a generation technology and energy generation technology is an absolutely terrible product, but it served a really great purpose. What I often see is that because we look at a problem through our particular lens in Sun Commons case, and, and even in my case, for most of my career, that is, we want to transition the world off of using dinosaur bones to power the lights in our house. And we think that that's a terrible way to do it. So we champion solar technology. However, it 
often happens that the petrochemical industry, which is the broader industry that actually gave rise to using, utilizing oil as a generating technology, gives me the watch band on mine and many of your Apple watches. It gives me the foam that allows you to not hear my plosives as I'm talking into this microphone. It even gives you the housing around the camera that allows me to transmit this technology to you right now. So we actually can often throw the baby out with the bathwater by saying, oh, oil is bad. For example, instead of realizing that just like you or I, many people went into the petrochemical industry as petrochemical engineers, geological engineers, yourself included, as I recall, Scott, that wanted nothing more than to find a career that would give them 30 plus years, in many cases, the old dream of you know 50 years in a Rolex, uh, but financial security, family security to take their education and put it to work, trying to solve a world problem. In this case, energy to feed our, our, our need for the industrialization of the world. And that, that will, that's for a separate argument in, in another forum. I find that right now we have a pretty good handhold on what it means to transition the oil economy into the renewable energy economy and that there is a natural process there that results in stranded assets, right? You'll see asset, uh, you'll see conversations now talking about stranded assets. Mostly they're talking about coal plants, uh, natural gas fired uh, generating plants, and the end of life being dramatically shorter than that it expected to be. Well, does that sound familiar to anybody who's lost their job in oil and gas recently? The end of life of your career is dramatically shorter than you anticipated it would be. I can't tell you how many conversations, especially through like the conversations I've had in the last six months with our mission-minded program, that folks that genuinely can't even believe that they've they've been laid off, more than 60,000 in your state alone, Scott, in the oil and gas industry, they desperately want to find a new role they know that the oil and gas boom isn't coming back the way it used to in the cyclical way that it did. And by and large, the messaging in the solar industry and broadly the renewables industry is you guys are from them and you don't have any solar skills and we're moving too fast to train you. So good luck. Go talk to Matt Harris at SEI and learn how to turn wrenches and we'll see if we can give you a job. But we have hundreds of thousands, and I would posit soon to be millions of stranded assets that we are undervaluing in terms of human capital. And I would like to see that everyone here can learn to build a bridge. And Matthew said it in his statement. He's intentionally getting into clubhouse rooms to hear what the oil and gas industry is talking about, to empathize with them, to understand how we are all in this together. We all got jobs because we wanted financial security and we wanted a career that's meaningful and that solves problems. We as ambassadors of climate change and we as those who are, as Melanie said, are climate curious, get the opportunity to do the one thing that this entire industry needs more than anything, and that is educate. Get into clubhouse rooms and educate. Get on a Twitter and educate. Get a podcast. I'll show you how to start a podcast. It is not that hard. But get out there and educate folks on the tiny actions they can take today that will build upon one another because we don't have time to be divisive. And I just really, I really want to encourage folks to think outside of a linear lens and think about the exponential value that we can add if we see our brethren in the oil and gas industry and in the broader tech industry who are, you know, creating memes to increase likes on Facebook when they could be creating memes to increase subscriptions on solar, we have such an Im immense opportunity right now. The messaging is key. We have to educate. Every one of us is responsible for educating from your mother to your hairdresser, to the barber, to your doctor, to your LinkedIn connections and friends. 
we have a job to do. <laughs> well, that is quite something, Nico. So I'm not going to have any, any of the panelists try to respond to that and follow up with that, but we're getting towards um, about 10 minutes left before we go ahead into the breakout sessions. So I'm just going to give each panelist one last question that um, you guys can all get a call to action. So it's the question is, what is one super practical, tactical thing that each person here listening can go back and try in their business, in their community, in their neighborhood, even with their their their, their father who might be a Trump supporter, which is mine included. So um, why don't we start off, Carter, you've got um, sure. one practical advice. Okay. Uh, one practical advice. I have a practical advice and an ask. Uh, the quest is I just dropped in the petition that we're doing to try to save solar in California. Yes. Uh, sign that, please. Um, my practical advice is think about what are you trying to achieve? What's the goal? So like Scott, when you're talking about your dad, your dad, your Trump, the Trump supporting dad, like what do you want to convince them about? What's the goal? What are you trying to do? I think, I think it's really important. I think a lot of times communicators just say, well, I think this, you think something different. I want you to think something different. It's like, why? What is the goal there? Like, I think to kind of Brooke's point about being like, you're, you know, Texas and me and things like that. And it's like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of people in the world who don't want to not eat meat. You know, the thing is it's one meal at a time as someone who is a vegetarian who cooks really well. It's like, look, if you come over to my house for dinner, I'm going to cook you a meal. It's going to be great. There's not going to be an animal in it. I'm not going to mention that. And you're going to say, man, great recipe. How do I do this? Like, I think it's really about what are you trying to achieve? As, as someone who's wasted far too much of my life on Twitter and has like since basically really tried to get off of Twitter, um, you know, the big thing is like, what, what are you doing? Like, what, are, what is your goal there? Um, and, you know, you say, well, he's my dad and I want to be in stronger community with him. And it feels really hard to have such a different worldview than my father. It's like, well, that's big. And then that's not about trying to get him to change anything. That's about trying to have you two understand each other and love each other more. If it's, I have a friend who likes brisket and he just wants to talk about brisket all the time. It's like, okay, cool. That's, that's going to be that. Maybe talk about French fries. They're vegan. Um, but you know, it's just, what are you trying to do? That's my advice. Always keep that in mind. What is the point of this? Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks, Carter. Brooke. I, I don't even know how to follow Nico and Carter on that. I mean, it's like, you know, they stole all my thunder. Of course you want to empathize, educate. You know, one of the things that we talk about is um, with the make it personal campaign, you know, if you're doing any one of these behaviors, whatever you're doing in your life, talk about it. Don't talk about it like a jerk. You know, don't be exclusionary to your friends that aren't vegans or don't have solar panels, but just, you know, open up about like the benefits, what's worked for you. Um, if you are just authentically talking about things with people in a way that doesn't freak them out or scare them off, it's really powerful stuff. I mean, that is the biggest nugget is that people don't look to experts. They look to their neighbors. They look to their friends. They look to people that they actually know as human beings and trust. So if you can get past that fear of, oh my gosh, there might be some backlash and just authentically talk about the things that you are doing and not make it a big deal, just talk about it. That is super powerful. Awesome. Thanks, um, Brooke. Susanna? Yeah, I mean, I think all of these are so important. And I think, you know, our, over at Suncommon, our approach is really about human connection. Um, 
And I, you know, I think like you've all said it, but just to say it in a slightly different way, like it's really, it really is about meeting people where they are at. Um, I don't know that anytime you're trying to change someone's heart or mind about something, particularly something that is, uh, divisive, um, your righteousness doesn't really have a, a big place in the conversation. Like if, if you feel like I'm right and that's why you should do it, um, not going to be super convincing. It really is about meeting people where they're at, finding out what little nugget you can possibly connect in their interest, in their heart, in their mind with the work that you are doing. Um, for us, that really has been sharing people's stories and sharing the impact of climate change. Um, you know, if, if you hear about somebody falling down, it's harder to say, yeah, let's, let's fix that big hole in the road. But if you actually see it happening in front of you, it's a little bit easier to go, oof, I saw that that hurt. Let's fix that. So, um, for us, it really is about telling the stories and, and connecting that way. So if you don't know any stories of climate impact, go out and look for them, listen to them, hear them, pass them on to other folks. And yeah, you know, the, um, just as Brooke was saying that the most convincing people in your life are the people that are closest to you. So I'm from Texas too. Um, I have a lot of hard conversations with my relatives as well. And I think those are probably some of the biggest impacts we can have. You know, what, what's your sphere of influence work there? Like it's your family, it's your friends, it's your workplace, it's your town. Just get involved, you know, get involved and meet people where they're at. Thanks, Susanna. And Nico. Uh, well, I want to say that the uh, I love the common thread that you have to take personal action, and that it really does. It, you have to step. You have to step up. Uh, I have said from the platform of Suncast uh, on behalf of uh, of Calsa and Sia and others. You have to reach out to your legislators and let them know how important this is to you. So I would be remiss to not further support Carter in that because I just can't overemphasize the amount of influence we actually have and that few of us take in our civic duty to ensure that we're building political frameworks that undergird the policy that is going to support the future we want to see. Um, with that in mind, there's, I, I think there's a personal and professional um, bent on this. The personal level is I think that far too few of us think that we can impact something. So I would challenge you today, not tomorrow, today, think about how you have done something as small as it may be to to, to make a difference towards the climate that you want to see your children uh, or your grandchildren raised in. And share that on some form of social media. That is one small action that you can take and it is meaningful because writing and expressing your opinion is a muscle. And the more you do it, the closer you get to educating folks around you by just being who you are and sharing that with others and not being afraid that you're going to be judged in some way because you have an opinion. Guess what? We all have them. It's like other body parts. We have to share them if we want to flex that muscle and actually feel the pain of it tearing when we maybe share an opinion that is uncommon or unpopular or even not very well founded so that we can build up a good foundation underneath it. I've found far too often we, we reserve our thoughts for small private conversations. I would just challenge you, take a stand today for what you believe in and put it out in the public. Let someone in your circle who doesn't necessarily know exactly how you feel about climate change discover 
a little bit more of you today so that they, so that you are exposed to them, the climate curious, and you can be part of the change to help them understand how we can take action now. It's, it's a, such a small thing. And if you want to do something bigger, actually write an article the way that Scott does on a regular basis, start a podcast and put your voice out there. We have to be, as Gandhi said, we have to be the change we want to see in the world. Uh, it's not trite. It's very true. Uh, and I just wanted to comment that I think one of the mo most um, fun conversations I saw in the chat was around um, not wanting to be vegan, but wanting to eat like them. Um, and I, I said slightly, my, my version of that is I don't want to be vegan. I just want to think like them because I've been profoundly challenged by the principled thinking of my vegan brethren and the way that they very intentionally walk through the world, choosing to sacrifice what we consider common uh, in, in, in exchange for something that they want to see uh, happen in the world, like reducing the overall amount of beef consumption as one example. Awesome. Thanks, Nico. Thank you so much, guys. This has really been an awesome conversation. I'm so glad that you guys were able to come on. All right, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors. But I do hope that you'll check out the other Two for Tuesday episodes and let me know what you think of these shorter format discussions. You want more like this? You can find more than 200 episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions, along with social media links to each guest episode, book recommendations, and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with the Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly emails or even joining the exclusive inner circle we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. A special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there for any offers we've discussed here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.